0: to your Bibles uh, from the chairs in front of you and turn to page 1078. We're going to be reading from John's Gospel, chapter 11, but from verse 17, not verse 20. Jesus comforts the sisters of Lazarus. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. "'Lord,' Martha said to Jesus, "'if you had been here, my brother would not have died.' will never die do you believe this yes lord she replied i believe that you are the messiah the son of god who is to come into the world after she had said this she went back and called her sister mary aside the teacher is here she said and is asking for you when mary heard this she got up quickly and went to him My brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying?
1: Let's bow our heads as uh, we prepare to think about God's words. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of your word revealed to us in the Holy Scriptures. We pray that you would speak to us this morning. Please show us what you are like. Amen. I want to start off this morning by asking you to think of a really close, really good friend. It can be anyone, but just think of one person. A good friend, a close friend. And what is it about that person? Think of one thing about that person that makes them a good friend. And I want three people to put their hands up and tell me what it is about that friend. Um, my best friend can you hear: Because it
0: sounds: Yeah, yeah. it is. Um, my best friend here is Helen, who is leading today, and she is a good friend because she is faithful.
1: Faithful. Great. Thank you. Anyone else? Something about a friend. Yeah.:
0: He understands me.
1: He understands. One more, someone younger maybe. Come on the side.
0: On the other end of the phone.
1: On the other end of the phone. <laughs> Great. Well, it's really important, isn't it, that we have good friends like that, friends who are always there for us, friends who care, friends who love us. And it's particularly important when we're going through hard times in life, when we're going through distressing times, that we have good friends. But as good as those friendships that we've, we've just heard described, as good as they are, well, they don't give us the same joy and they don't have the same power to change us like the friend we've just read about in this passage this morning. You see, the first thing this passage shows us is that Jesus is the greatest friend we could possibly ever have. Jesus is the greatest friend. Now, as Helen has said this morning, many of us are in a place where we desperately need that friendship. And I agree, I don't believe it's an accident that we're reading this as a church this morning. This is God's plan for us to be reading this. Many of our hearts are broken and are aching. But Jesus wants us to see what he offers us this morning. He wants us to see his friendship. Well, before, before the reading uh, that we got to this morning, uh, Jesus has heard about Lazarus' illness. He's heard that he was ill, But he hasn't gone to see him yet. See, in the past, when he's heard about someone being ill, he's gone out and he's healed them. Or if someone has asked Jesus to heal him, he's done it. But not on this occasion. Jesus waits where he was. Until Lazarus dies. Then, Jesus says, is the time for me to go and see him and to see his two other friends Martha and Mary, Lazarus' sisters. But the disciples get a bit confused about this, about Jesus' timing. They say, well, Jesus, actually it's quite dangerous that you want to go now. There are people there who want to have you hurt. There are people there who want to kill you. And actually it seems a bit late. Surely you've missed your opportunity. Lazarus, your friend, well, he's dead now. But Jesus says in verse 14, the reason that he is going is so that you may believe. So that you may believe what he is like and so that you may believe what he can do. This is why Jesus waits. You see, Jesus is first of all a friend. That is what he is like. But he's not just a friend, but he is a compassionate friend. Now, compassionate that's quite a long word. Maybe we'll just unravel a bit what it means. Compassion is more than just being nice, it's more than just feeling sorry for someone. In fact, actually, it's an action more than it is a feeling. It's an action to be compassionate. Well, imagine that you are in, in you're down in Hove Park at the weekends, and there's a child there holding an inflatable balloon. And that moment, that terrible moment happens where it just comes out the child's grasp and they try and jump up for it, but it's just going up and up towards the sky and your heart sinks. You think, poor child, it's lost its balloon. Well, to be compassionate is more than just feeling sorry for that child and thinking, oh, that's, that's awful when that happens, isn't it? Compassion is far more than that. Compassion is going out to the shop, buying a new balloon, taking it to the child and putting it in their hands. It's an action far more than it is just a feeling. We'll look down at verses 33 and 35. If you've closed your Bibles, uh, please open them back up uh, to page um, 1078. Look at 33 and 35. When Jesus saw her weeping, he's talking about Mary, his friend. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. You see, Jesus is a compassionate friend. He's not just sitting around feeling sorry for his friends. But neither is he uncaring. Jesus is a compassionate friend. And look at that, that word, those two words in verse 33. It says deeply moved. This is more than just a bit shaken up. This is rumbling. Like, a, like an active volcano. Jesus is deeply moved. By what his friends are going through. Jesus shows us his compassion and it's emotionally involved with what what is happening. But it's more than that, you see. It's driving him into action, even if that action is weeping with his friends. You see, some people's view of God is that he is distant and uncaring. Maybe that's your view of God, that he is distant and uncaring, And as if he just takes pain and suffering and death in his stride. It's just a normal part of life. But look at verse 35, these two words Jesus wept. You see, Jesus is the Son of God. And Jesus is not distant. Jesus is not uncaring. Jesus is a compassionate friend. The first thing to notice then about what Jesus offers us as a friend is that he is one who weeps with us in our pain. He cares about what we are going through. Whether that is death, whether that is bullying whether that is fear, whether that is loss, whether it is betrayal. Whatever it is, Jesus cares. And this passage says he is there with us in those times. And he is weeping with us. So firstly, Jesus is a compassionate friend. Secondly, Jesus is a loving friend. We get some clues about that in this passage. In verse 3, It says, so the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is ill. In verse 5 it says, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And at the end of the passage we heard read, it says, then the Jew said, see how he loved him. Now Jesus' actions were clear to everyone that he loved his friends. Let's just think about the word love. We use it in a lot of ways, don't we? We say, for example, I, I love football, or I really love that food, or I love watching The Apprentice. But that's not the kind of love that John is talking about here, when it says that Jesus loved his friends. You see, Jesus loves with a different kind of love. Jesus loves with a costly love. We know by, by reading verse 8 that Jesus was, was willing to risk it all, even his own life. The, the, the disciples say to him, but Rabbi, a short while ago the Jews there tried to stone you and yet you are going back. You see, Jesus loves with a costly love. It's a costly thing for Jesus to love his friends. But that's the kind of friend he is. Well, I want you to imagine two people. One person, their girlfriend lives next door to them in the, in the house next door. And it's really easy for them to go and see them. They can pop around whenever they like. They can just knock on the door, go out to, to, for a cup of coffee or whatever. It's really easy. That's person number one. But person number two, well, their, their partner, their boyfriend or girlfriend lives on the other side of the world. And to go and see them, they have to save up money, they have to take time off work or from school, and they have to travel all the way around the world to see the one they love. Now, which one of those people demonstrates costly love? It's the second person, isn't it? Because they have to put so much more into it to love that person. That love that they have is so much more demonstrated you see, Jesus loves with a costly love. And it was costly for Jesus to love us too. We know that there was a cost for Jesus to love us. The Bible tells us clearly about that. You see, all our, all our turning away from God, all, all the wrongdoing that we've done, well, that was like a barrier between, between us and God. A barrier that prevented that friendship. You see, it was going to cost someone to fix that. And it cost Jesus. It cost him his own life as he died for us on the cross. But this is the kind of friend that Jesus is. He is a friend who loves with a costly love. You see, Jesus is a loving friend. In fact, he loves you so much that he died for you. Personally, he died for you. That's the kind of friend he is. Finally, then, we see that he is a friend like no other. Look at these these famous verses in uh, verse 25 and 26. Jesus said to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? You see, Jesus is a friend like no other. Loads of, loads of religions and, and, and philosophies start with, with a person or a founder who will say something like this. This is the way that you've got to live your life. There is a certain way to live your life and this is the way you should live it. Or there are certain things, there are certain rules that you need to obey. That's the way that you know your life will be okay. Okay. Or there are certain prayers that you've got to say, or books you've got to read, or certain amount of money that you need to give to be saved. Do you see what Jesus is saying, though, in these verses? Jesus isn't saying, there's a way to eternal life. There's a way to resurrection, and there's a way to heaven. He's saying, I am the resurrection. I am the life. Every other religion is about keeping the rules. Jesus says, no, it's about trusting me. Trusting me. Jesus says to us, be my friend because I have life in my hands. Life that I want to give to you. You see, Jesus is a friend like no other. What other friend can offer you eternal life? Not only is Jesus a friend who weeps with us in our pain and who loves us with a costly love. Jesus is a friend like no one else. He's the only friend who can give us eternal life. But just a quick recap on what we've seen in the passage so far. We see that Jesus is the best friend ever. He's the greatest friend you could possibly ever have. He's compassionate. He loves with a costly love. And he is a friend like no other. Well the second part is that Jesus is more powerful than anything. Even death. Jesus is more powerful than anything, even death. You see, we don't only have a friend in Jesus who is compassionate, who is loving, and who is like no one else. Jesus is also incredibly powerful. I wonder if anyone knows uh, who this is. This is a man called Brian Shaw, who you can probably guess was last year's winner of the world's strongest man He's lifting a truck there uh, as you do. Uh, so he was last year's world's strongest man. There are powerful people in the world, physically powerful people. There are also powerful machines. Uh, many of you will know, I'm sure, that this is the BELAZ75710, which is a 450 ton truck. It's the largest, most powerful dumper truck in the world. You see, there are powerful people in the world, but there are powerful things in the world too. But as powerful as those things are, they are no way as powerful as what Jesus is like. This passage shows us three things about Jesus' power that makes him stand out from the crowd, that makes him like no other. Firstly, his power is glorious. His power is glorious. If you closed your Bibles, please open them back up again. To to John 11 verse 40. Where Jesus says, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? What Jesus is doing here... He's urging his friends not to think about how hopeless the situation is or how hopeless it may seem. It would be so easy in their situation to despair. Their brother, who was, who was ill, who has died, who is now laying and has been laying in a cold tomb for four days, it would be so easy to despair. But instead, Jesus says to his friends, trust and believe. Trust and believe that you will see the glory of God. Trust that you will see the glory of God. Now, glory is another one of those kind of buzzwords we use a lot. But let's think about what it means a bit. Well, I mean, the word glory, it can mean wonder. Or it can mean beauty, but actually, when the Bible is talking about glory, it's actually talking about weight. Imagine if you're out digging one day in your garden, and you find this this huge lump of gold, and it's it's so big you can't even lift it a centimetre off the ground. That that great huge golden uh, nugget is glorious. It's so weighty. It's glorious. Well, in this passage, we see this glory because God will show his glory through this miracle. What Jesus is about to do will be glorious. It will be even more glorious than discovering the largest weight of gold imaginable. And look what Jesus says in that verse, in verse 40. He says, If you believe, if you believe, you will see the glory of God. Jesus isn't saying that if you don't believe this, well, then I'm not going to do anything. That he's waiting on the other people to to believe before he's going to do anything. What Jesus is saying is that if you're not believing, if you're not believing, you won't see the truth That this power points to. You won't get the glory. You won't see how glorious I am. That's why he's saying. If you believe. You have to believe so that you can see the glory. Now in the Gage family we love watching Christmas movies. Uh, And we kicked it off on Friday nights. Uh, with one of my favourites, because it's got steam trains in it, is the Polar Express. It's, it's, it's a story all about this, this boy who is struggling to believe in Father Christmas. He's struggling to believe in Father Christmas. And, and the one little present that he gets that kind of symbolises this, this struggle to believe is this little bell of off the sleigh bells on, on Santa's sleigh. This little bell. And it's important because it can only sound to people who believe in Father Christmas. So he starts off and all the other children are excited so they can hear these beautiful, glorious bell sounds. But he can't believe it. He can't hear it. And he doesn't hear it until he sees Father Christmas for himself. And then he can hear the noise. And even though his parents can't hear it, he can hear it. He needed to believe to hear that glorious sound. What Jesus is saying in this passage that unless you believe in what this power I have says about me, unless you believe, you won't be able to see me for who I truly am. Jesus' power is glorious. Because it points to his glory. It points to what he is like. Secondly, we see Jesus' power is not only glorious, but Jesus' power is from God. Look at verses 41 and 42. So they took away the stone. And Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But i said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. There's that word again. So that they may believe that you sent me. See, Jesus isn't doing stuff by himself. He's not some kind of divine lone agent. Jesus is and always has been working with his father. Jesus' power is from God. But notice as well what he doesn't say. He doesn't rebuke the people and kind of tell them off. How dare you that you didn't believe me that I could do this. Just wait. Just wait and see. He doesn't tell them off, does he? Look what he does instead. He says thank you. He says thank you to God, his Father, for hearing his prayer. You see, the Father always hears the Son and Jesus knows this. But he says it here so that we may know as well. We may know that the Father hears the Son and the Son's power comes from the Father. And we have it here, not just so we know it for, for, for head knowledge and we, we know about it, but that so we can believe in it in our hearts as well. So that we may believe that Jesus' power is from God. And this is why Jesus will raise Lazarus from the dead. So that we may see his power and we may believe in him. But this isn't the last time we will see a scene like this in John's Gospel. In chapter 19, Jesus will die on a cross. And his body will be taken down and it will be put into a tomb like the the one Lazarus is in. For three days, his body will be there. And if his body stayed there, there would be no celebration. We would just remember Jesus as, as a good man and nothing more. But listen to what happened. In the book of Acts it says, but God raised him from the dead. Freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. See, God has the power to raise Jesus from the dead. God has the power to raise Lazarus from the dead. God has the power to raise each and every one of us who believe in him. God has the power to raise us from death to eternal life. Do you believe in that power this morning? Do you believe in it? Well, lastly, I just want to finish with the fact, and this may seem obvious, but I think it's worth stating, that Jesus' power is real. Christians really believe this. This isn't wishful thinking. This isn't pie in the sky. Christians really believe that Jesus' power is real. Look at the last two verses, verse 43 and 44. When Jesus had said this, he called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth round his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. See, it wasn't enough for Jesus just to talk about his power. Plenty of people can, can big themselves up and talk about how great they are or how much power they've got. But Jesus showed it. Jesus showed that his power is real. And you notice, one command, that's all it took, one command, Lazarus, come out. And he did. The dead man raised back to life. You see, we have this in our Bibles and we are reading it this morning, so that we can believe that Jesus has this power and that this power is real. It's real, so it, it shapes the way that we live our lives. We build our lives on the fact that Jesus has the power to do this. And he has shown it by raising Lazarus. And God has shown it by raising Jesus. Paul writes, and if Christ has not been raised, well your faith is futile, it's pointless. You are still in your sins. We're back at square one if this hasn't happened. He says, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people, all people to be most pitied. If it's just about this life, then who are we kidding? But if it's true, if it's true, then can you accept that it could possibly be true? Well, if it's true, then there is hope. There is hope that death isn't the end. This is why Christians talk about death differently. This is why Christians mourn differently. We don't mourn as people who have no hope, but as those who know and believe that for those who trust in Jesus, there is a hope. There is a hope. It is real. Death is not the end. His power is real. See, Jesus is a greater friend than any of us could possibly imagine. But he's also more powerful than anything else. Even death. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for this wonderful offer of friendship, of a friend who is compassionate, of a friend who loves us with a costly love, of a friend who is like no one else. We thank you that Jesus is not just our friend, but that he is so powerful. Father, help us wherever we are this morning to know that we have a friend in Jesus and that he is powerful and that death is not the end but only the beginning. And we pray this all in his name. Amen.